cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 9th of December 2008. Newcomers who've just tuned in for the first time, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and on the website there you'll find lots of talks I've given over the years where I try to give you the shortcuts to understanding the reality, the big picture of that which controls your lives. And I show you how it's planned, where they're taking you, and why. And I give you the networking of big foundations and NGOs that are all strung together, working working together, coordinated together, the thousand points of light, as Mr. Bush Sr. called it. And at the base of, of it all is a sort of eugenics. It's also a form of social engineering. We're always being engineered and re-engineered mentally to fit in with the upcoming new type of society pretty well in every era. And these guys have been at this for an awful, awful long time. They took their models from previous religions and how they worked and how they gave a particular reality to different people, and they utilized them. So much so, in fact, they have no shame in borrowing what used to be hymns, the melodies for hymns, and now in schools in the U.S., because they're green parties associated with schools in the United States of America and other countries too. They're actually having the children sing hymns, basically, to the world, to the planet, to the greening of the planet using old Christian melodies. So they're, they're shameless in their techniques. But why, why would they possibly look over that aspect of it? They must always create a new religion for a new era. And as it said in ancient times even, in Greece, when the old gods die, die off, when the age passes, there's always a new god comes in. If you want to control the new era, the next million years, as Charles Galton Darwin called his book, you must create the new God and control society. That is well underway today. And this takes me on to people who donate to me. I have to thank them very, very much. It's generally the same people over and over. And I do tell the people who listen to the show that I'm brought to you by yourselves, at least the ones who help and help out. You can either donate or directly donate. You'll find on my website a button you can push to send money through PayPal. Or you can order my books, CDs, and DVDs. That's what funds me. I don't get money from advertising. I don't ask for money from the stations I'm on. And I never have. That way I can not be compromised as doing a business, basically. This is not a business. This is not fun. What I do is essential. It's necessary. And when I think it's not necessary anymore or it's too late or whatever, I'll just go off and teach private groups where I can teach it at length into the deeper understandings of this very, very old world and what runs it and how to counter, at least counter, sometimes deflect it 
from its course, which has been done in times gone by, but not for a long time. And with the totalitarian measures of the system today, it's, become, it's almost impossible to do it. In fact, there'll be massive bloodshed before the elite will ever change the ridiculous indoctrinations that push on us like global warming. It's a must-be scenario, this whole CO2 farce. And they will. They'd rather kill most of us off, brutally. They never back down and admit it was a con to control the whole world and everyone in it. And I'll be back with more after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Social engineering. How you you plan what kind of society you want in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in fact, 100 years, and you plan the indoctrination process from kindergarten with every intake. And every year's intake, year by year, you upgrade them to what they'll hit when they're, or experience when they hit 30 or 40 or whatever, what they'll accept, what you train them to accept. Beria talked about it in the Soviet Union in the 1930s. And it's in practice today. But we also find that the educational systems had their champions given to them too. And I've mentioned before, there are good books out there with the history of education. Gatto is probably one of the better authors of the histories. And it gives you that which is behind it, the big foundations again, with the kind of societies they wanted, the kind of behavior they wanted in society as well. But we find men like John Dewey, John Dewey, a big player in the Americas, because he came up, at least he was trained to come up with, because his tutor, I think, was Manning or Manley. And he was well-trained, well-coached for his role And they do give them roles. They train them years in advance before the public ever have them presented to them. John Dewey talked about altering history altogether eventually and dropping all history where there was any conflict mentioned between any peoples. So they'd eradicate it simply. Simple as that. It doesn't stop at history because, see, words were also discussed. Because words, after all, are how we communicate to each other. George Orwell went through that process in his book, 1984. He called it linguistic minimalism. Every dictionary edition, they make it thinner and thinner as it withdraw words. And when people don't have the vocabulary to express thoughts, very important thoughts, then there'll be no terrorism anywhere. It'd be impossible to communicate ideas. That was called peace and safety. So you eradicate history and you eradicate words. That Christianity, it is true, was used for long enough to control the world on behalf of a ruling elite, at least the Catholic Church, and then, of course, the Protestant Church was created for an industrial era. They wanted the good working type of system to come in for the industrialists and for the the goods, 
the good man who would save his pennies and become successful, as they say. Another part of their long-term agenda. But Christianity was, was used down through the ages, and definitely Protestantism was heavily influenced and infiltrated and actually run by Freemasonry for an awful long time. Special sects were sprung up out of Freemasonry, and Pike himself advised some of his top men to infiltrate and dominate Christian sects, especially in, in the United States of America. The idea was to gradually change the whole concept of Christianity and blend it in with the world system. You do away with evil, because remember, in the Masonic tradition, in the Kabbalistic tradition, there is no such thing as good or evil, there's only outcome. The judgment of humans is what we bring down to, or we classify as good or bad, good or evil. But in the long run, it's irrelevant to nature, you see. Someone or something always benefits in the end. Many Christian sects, in fact, were founded by Freemasons. There's one in Pennsylvania, I believe, who funded or founded one of the great U.S. sects. It's a pain to a lot of people because we're on doors and keep knocking on them. And he's under a pyramid with 666 written on the side of it because he was a top Freemason. You look at the top Freemasons or the, the top 200 Freemasons that were published in the Masonic publication. The top 200 Freemasons of America and even the ones who brought in Lutherism to the United States were 32nd and 33rd degree Freemasons. Christianity had to be destroyed because it claimed it had exclusive truth. And in the system that is here today, you must deny you have the exclusive truth on anything to be accepted. If you claim you have exclusive truth, you will be under heavy attack by all press and media and even in the movie industry. They'll make sure that they, they flatten you. They'll make you ridiculous because you're fundamental. Meanwhile, they're bringing in the most fundamentalist religion of all, the oneness doctrine, the greening doctrine, the environmental doctrine, the mental part of Enviro is what says it all. And here is from the Telegraph, something that goes along these lines of removing words and history, because you must remove the words to remove the history from the books. The Telegraph, and this is from the 8th of December 2008 by Julie Henry, education correspondent, words associated with Christianity and British history taken out of children's dictionary. It says Westminster Abbey, maybe one of Britain's most famous landmarks, but the word Abbey has been removed from the Oxford Junior Dictionary. It says um, what they've replaced it with is things like creative Zen MP3 player, words associated with Christianity and British history taken out of the children's dictionary. Instead, such words as MP3 player, voicemail, and attachments have been included. Oxford University Press has removed words like aisle, bishop, chapel, empire, and monarch from its junior dictionary and replaced them with words like blog, broadband, and celebrity. See, it's more important we follow the celebrities because it's part of culture creation. And we, we monkey, we ape what we see. Dozens of words related to the countryside, this is an interesting part, words related to the countryside have also been culled 
to take words out of the, to do with the countryside out of the dictionary. Because we know the whole agenda is to get us into compact cities and have us in this completely artificial environment where we're easily controlled. People in the rural areas, down through time, regardless of the kind of land you're born on, you will tend to fight and die for that land. You love the land. It's part of you. It's part of your history, your tradition, your people, your family, and so on. And that must be completely destroyed for this new system that's to be brought in. So words from the, about the countryside have been culled out of it. The publisher claims the changes have been made to reflect the fact that Britain is a modern, multicultural, multi-faith society. But academics and head teachers say that the changes to the 10,000-word junior dictionary could mean that children lose touch with Britain's heritage. You have a certain Christian narrative which has given meaning to us over the last 2,000 years. To say it's all relative and replaceable is questionable, says Professor Alan Smithers, the director of the Centre for Education and Employment at Buckingham University. The word selections are a very interesting reflection of the way childhood is going, moving away from our spiritual background and the natural world and towards the world that information technology creates for us. Creates for us. An analysis of the word choices made by the dictionary lexographers have revealed that entries from Abbey to Willow have been axed. Instead, words as MP3 player, voicemail, attachment have taken their place. Lisa Saunders, a worried mother who has painstakingly compared entries from the junior dictionaries aimed at children aged 7 or over, dating from 1978, 95, 2000, 2002, 3, and 7, said she was horrified by the vast number of words that have been removed, most since 2003. You see how it's all planned that way? Incrementally. And it's true enough, most folk won't notice. They won't notice, they won't know. But someone's planning this. The Christian faith still has a strong following, she said. To eradicate so many words associated with the Christianity will have a big effect on the numerous primary schools who use it. Miss Saunders realized words were being removed when she was helping her son with his homework and discovered that moss and fern which were in additions up till 2003, were no longer listed. I decided to take a closer look and compare the new version to the other editions, said the mother of four from County Down, Northern Ireland. I was completely horrified by the vast number of words which have been removed. We know that language moves on and we can't be fuddy-duddy about it, but you don't call hundreds of important words in order to get in a different set of ICT words. Anthony Selden, the master of Wellington College, a leading private school in Berkshire, said, I am stunned that words like saint, buttercup, heather, and sycamore have all gone, and I grieve it. I think as well as being descriptive, the Oxford Junior Dictionary has to be prescriptive too, suggesting not just words that are used, but words that should be used. It has a duty to keep these words within usage, not merely pander to an audience. We're looking at the loss of words of great beauty. I would rather have marzipan and mistletoe than MP3 player. 
Oxford University Press, which produces the junior edition, selects words with the aid of the Children's Corpus, a list of about 50 million words made up of general language, words from children's books and terms related to the school curriculum. Lexographers consider word frequency when making additions and deletions. Vinita Gupta, the head of children's dictionaries at Oxford University Press, said, We are limited by how big the dictionary can be. Little hands must be able to handle it. This is their, this is their excuse. But we produce 17 children's dictionaries with different selections and numbers of words. Back to John Dewey, what do you say? Everybody replace history. How do you do it? You replace the words and delete words. We'll be back with more after this break. Alan Watt cutting through the matrix and showing you what's happening today and showing you again how it was planned a long, long time ago. You have to read the old books and you'll find that nothing's happening today that wasn't planned long ago. You have to jump past this incredulity that you have and study and then it all makes sense. Life is planned. Generations are planned. The culture for each generation is planned in advance and you'll find that Oxford University look at the history of it go into it go into what they call the river that flows through it they call it Isis Oxford on the Isis what's an ox it's a bull it's Taurus it goes over Taurus over Isis basically so much has come out of it and we know that the Council on Foreign Relations, as I say, or Royal Institute for International Affairs, has been heavily involved with that university and Cambridge for an awful long time. They helped to lead the world's cultures. Monty Python's team came out of Oxford. The reason they could write so much stuff, and one of them even went on to do movies like Brazil, about the future and the type of system in a comical fashion, was because they went to Oxford. That's why. They knew what was up. That's where the Rhodes Scholars go as well. That's where All Souls Colleges, where the very, very high members who are chosen to go on and beyond the Rhodes Scholarships, the lifers go. There's a there's few of them get to that very elite position. But the ones that do are truly world leaders behind the scenes, real world leaders, the ones with the real power. They're unelected. They're the technocrats. Here's an article here, I was talking about the climate, you see, and no matter what evidence comes forward to prove it's all a hoax, they'd rather kill us all off in the most bloody fashion than ever admit it, because this is a must-be. This whole CO2, global warming, climate change stuff, is to replace other types of wars between nations, to rule the public on an individual level worldwide. It's also the greatest tax system ever devised. All from this global elite who have used religions in the past, who are creating this religion, they have created this religion. And they will tolerate no dissension from this. Nothing will stop it. Because it's a must-be. 
It says, Beware the, the Church of Climate Change. And this is from the Sydney Morning Herald from Australia. November 27, 2008. It says, As the Czech President Vaclav Klaus, an economist anti-totalitarian and climate change skeptic, prepares to take up the rotating presidency of the European Union next year, climate alarmists are doing their best to traduce him. The New York Times opened a profile of Klaus, 67 years old this week, with a quote from a 1980s communist secret agent's report claiming he behaves like a rejected genius. In other words, they're trying to defame him already and assert there is palpable fear he will embarrass the economic union. But the real fear driving climate alarmists wild is that a more rational approach to fundamentalist religion, the fundamentalist religion of global warming, may be in ascendancy, where in the parliamentary offices of the world's largest trading bloc or in the living rooms of Blacktown. As a global financial crisis takes hold, perhaps people are starting to wonder where the so-called precautionary principle, which would have us accept enormous new taxes in the guise of an emissions trading scheme and curtail economic growth, is justified based on what we actually know about climate. One of Australia's leading enviro-skeptics, the geologist and University of Adelaide professor Ian Plimmer, 62, says he has noticed audiences becoming more receptive to his message that climate change has always occurred and there's nothing we can do to stop it. It's like the weather, right? Can you stop the weather? In a speech at the American Club in Sydney on Monday night for Quadrant magazine titled Human-Induced Climate Change, A Lot of Hot Air, Plimmer debunked climate change myths. He says, climates always change, he said. A climate has changed in cycles over millions of years as the orbit of the planet wobbles and our distance from the sun changes, for instance, or as the sun itself produces variable amounts of radiation. All of this affects climate. It is impossible to stop climate change. Climates have always changed and they always will. That's why they pick climate change. You see, this guy still doesn't get it, obviously. That's why they chose climate change. It's like religion. It's a belief system. This two-hour presentation included more than 50 charts and graphs, as well as almost 40 pages of references. It is the basis of his new book called Heaven and Earth, The Missing Science of Global Warming, to be published early next year. Plimmer said one of the charts which plots atmospheric carbon dioxide and temperatures over 500 million years with seemingly little correlation demonstrates one of the lessons from history to which geologists are privy. There is no relationship between CO2, carbon dioxide, and temperature. Another slide charts the alternating periods of cooling and warming on Earth with the Pleistocene age starting 110,000 years ago and giving way 14,700 years ago to the bawling warm period for 800 years. This in turn gave way to the older Dryas cooling for 300 years, then the Alarod warming for 700 years and so on until the cooling of the Ice Age from 1700 to 1850. Now back with more to complete this after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
books. Alan Watt back again, cutting through the matrix and reading an article from the Sydney Morning Herald from someone who knows his stuff and is qualified. But as I said before, it won't make any difference because this is a must-be. They've prepared this for a long, long time, this greening and the control of the earth and the world and everyone in it through this particular agenda, and they'll never back down. But to continue what this, this man is saying, it says this in turn gave way to the older Dreas, cooling for 300 years, then the Alrod warming for 700 years and so on, until the cooling of the little ice age from 1300 to 1850. Since 1850, we have lived through the modern warming, one of the most stable climate periods in history. And then on page two, he goes on. Mrs. Plimer said some astronomers predict we are headed for a new cooling period. He said there's a division between those scientists who sit in front of a supercomputer and push piles of data into the mathematical models that drive the theory of climate change and those who take measurements in the field. Now, he's made a very important comment here, a statement. You see, they build special computers to give them the answers they want. Check it up for yourself. Every article they come out with, they've always said, with this new computer, they've found it and they scare the hell out of us. That's how they do it. They get the answers they want. This is, we're not skeptical enough about the data. For instance, Plimer cited differences between results from temperatures measuring stations in urban and rural areas. Those in urbanized Chicago, Berkeley, New York, and so on, showed temperature rises above Oh, for over the, the past 150 years, whereas those in the rural U.S., in Holton, Albany, and Harrisburg, though not in Death Valley, California, show equally consistent cooling. And I'll tell you why that is. You see, 150 years ago, they had these little temperature-sensing stations over grass fields. And the earth absorbs the heat, you see. Anyone who lives in the city in the summer is living in a basking of reflected heat from concrete all around you and on the ground. And that's never taken into the equation. If you had a bunch of Chinese walks all, all reflecting the sun to a, a temperature gauge, you know what kind of reading you're going to get. Well, that's what happens in the cities. And now the guys at the top know this con as well. They know the histories and, and where they put these particular uh, stations. They know what the, what the environment was like around those stations when they first put them up 150 years ago. Now the cities have built up over them. They're surrounded in concrete. It says here, to understand the chaotic nature of climate change, we need to consider all the inputs, cosmic radiation, sun clouds, and so on. I'll add global uh, spraying as well by this big air force that no one takes claim of. There was much more essentially uh, uh, to Primer's message is the idea humans cause climate change has become a fundamentalist religion which is corrupting science. Again, I'll say for the harder thinking, but essentially Primer's message is that the idea humans cause climate change has become a fundamentalist religion which is corrupting science. You bet it is because it's meant to be a fundamentalist religion. It is embedded with a fear of nature and embraced principally by city people who have lost touch with nature. And ain't that the truth? He likens the debate to the famous 1990s battle he had in the federal courts 
where he accused an elder of the Hills Bible Church in Balcombe Hills of breaching Australia's Trade Practices Act by claiming to have found scientific evidence of Noah's Ark in Turkey. Kimmer says creationists and climate alarmists are quite similar in that they were dealing with dogma and people who, when challenged, become quite vicious and irrational. Well, that's what I said already, that that's the mental part of environmental. Human-caused climate change is being promoted with a religious zeal. There are fundamentalist organizations, you bet, and I've mentioned lots of them, they're the big foundations at the top, which will do anything to silence critics. They have their holy books, their prophet is Al Gore. And what is Al Gore? What's his history? What's his expertise, by the way? Apart from the fact that Armand Hammer picked him and trained him. Look into his particular history as well. Are they promoting a story which is frightening us witless, using guilt and urging penance? And by the way, Armand Hammer means arm and hammer. His father changed the name because he loved the Soviet system so much. Armand Hammer also had an apartment next to Lenin and then Stalin and was still a citizen of the U.S., forging a big, powerful, wealthy organization. Foundations again, eh? This is difficult for non-scientists to engage in a debate over what causes climate change and whether or not it can be stopped by new taxes and slower growth because dissenting voices are shouted down by true believers in the scientific community. I wouldn't say they're true believers. I believe they're absolute prostitutes who are so well paid by these big foundations and the United Nations and so on that they know where their bread is buttered. To be honest, that's my personal opinion. It says these true believers in the scientific community who claim they alone have the authority to speak. Quadrant is under fire for publishing articles by skeptics, but as his editor Keith Winshudel said, on Monday night, people who are really confident of their facts relish debate. In any case, ordinary people already have suspicions. The zealotry and one-sidedness of the debate alarmed an 81-year-old Seven Hills pensioner, Dennis Clark, so much that last month at his own expense he hired the ballroom at the Blacktown Workers' Club for two public forums titled The Truth About Climate Change. He invited a climate skeptic and James Cook University professor John uh, Bob Carter, a geologist to speak, more than 300 people attended, some from as far away as Nora. Mrs. Carter, like Plimer and Klaus, has come in for his fair share of vilification, or vilification, but as Clark proves, he can't stop people thinking, and then he finishes it with, yet. He's got that on, on the button, because they will. This is going to be verboten shortly to... They go, I'm not kidding, the system we're in is totalitarian, politically correct system, which is run from the top down. It's going to be impossible to view any personal opinion about anything at all, unless it's politically correct, by law, by absolute law. That's how far it's gone. We're in big, big trouble. Big trouble. This is the most, I've said before, you think the previous religions were bad with what they did and their hold over the, the minds of society, of people in society. The scientific foundation run system is going to be the worst, most merciless system 
you could ever, ever possibly envisage. This article here, before I go to callers, is from the Mail Online. Has your child been CAFED, C-A-F-E-D? How the government plans to record intimate information on every child in Britain. By Eileen Fairweather, December the 7th, 2008. It says, when police raided Tory MP Damien Green's home, they sheepishly asked, asked whether children were present before ransacking it. His wife assumed they were being polite, but under sinister new guidelines. Sinister, remember, that's still in the dictionary, I think. Officers must assess all children they encounter, including while searching premises for a police database called Merlin. Huh, Merlin, yeah, the magician. This in turn feeds into a giant new Whitehall database on Britain's children called Contact Point, which goes live nationally in January. The Conservatives have vowed to scrap it, which they won't, of course, that it's vowing that it threatens family privacy and children's safety, but civil liberties campaigners say we must resist it now before it's too late. You bet it. <laughs> so, since April the 1st, hundreds of thousands of state employees, from police to teachers, youth and nursery workers, social workers and sports coaches, have been entitled to interrogate children aged up to 19 using the Common Assessment Framework, CAF, C-A-F, a creepy eight-page, 60-section questionnaire. CAF includes eye-watering intimate questions about children's sexual behavior, their family's structure, culture, and religion, their views on discrimination, their friends, secret fears, feelings, and family income, plus any serious difficulties in their parents' relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying here about this totalitarian world system? It's here already. It's overwhelming. It's into every facet of every individual's lives. And meanwhile, the media keeps us happy and entertained with sex and violence. Generally in, in series or movies to do with them keeping us all safe. Lots of sex and violence in those movies. The hooks. Well, they indoctrinate us. Meanwhile, they're interrogating children about all the adults. And there's no hue and cry from the people who are so dumbed down they can't think for themselves anymore. All they can do is parrot their political correct slogans to each other. The article says, how has such a terrifying intrusion to private life crept? Now remember, this is also everywhere else. If Britain's doing it, it's all over Europe and it's all over Canada and the Commonwealth countries and no doubt it's already underway in the U.S. as well. See, we're global already, and they're sharing the same computer databases. How's it creating a private life, almost an unnoticed, under the radar? The answer is new labor. This is the, the left wing, supposedly. There's no left or right wing. Has cleverly packaged CEF into an aid to child protection and delivering better services as part of its Every Child Matters project. Remember, no child left behind and all this stuff, Al Gore and all that. You see, it's all tied together. And it's always a lot more to whatever they put forward than what you think. This costs £224 million from the 
from a destitute of bankrupt country. This program, £224 million, in double that for dollars, has been beset by delays, incomprehensible acronyms and new labour gobbledygook. But let us not be deceived. It's about control, not care. It's about spying, not safety. The ECM claims that nearly half of Britain's 11 million children have additional needs, so must continuously be assessed for the giant database at the government's department for schools and families. That takes me right back to Bush in the U.S., who wants all children to be psychologically evaluated every year and eventually to creep up into adults as well, bringing you in to see if you're politically correct or to see if you're a, it's really to see if you're a thinker. If you're a thinker, you're answering the questions. Alarm bells will go off all over the place. Steel doors will come down and you're trapped. Well, I've got one. He's a thinker. You think I'm kidding? What was it Matsy Tong said? He says he wasn't afraid of anything. He said someone with an idea. It says CEF questionnaires will be kept until they are 19 or for 75 years. <laughs> if they have been in care and can be accessed electronically by hundreds of thousands of staff in other agencies. Cradle to grave, eh? The Communist Manifesto. The Albert Pike Manifesto, all the same, you know. They're all the same manifestos. The Council on Foreign Relations Manifesto, same manifesto. Royal for International Affairs, same manifesto. The United Nations Organization, same manifesto. It must all be coincidence, eh? This contact point will also store information from databases kept by the National Hair Service, General Practitioners Schools, the Child Benefit Agency, and the National Pupil Register. The potential for sensitive material about our children falling into malevolent hands is enormous. Well, of course it is. It's in the hands of school teachers and people. Have you ever seen who works in those places today? Incredibly, parental consent is not often required for this intrusion into children's lives. Youngsters from the age of 12, 12 years old, are deemed mature enough to agree to being cast whatever their parents' objections. The campaigners stress that families should teach their children to say no. Submitting to CAF is currently at least voluntary. It's not really when children see policemen uh, and, they see, and they start to be questioned, they generally start spilling and, and telling them what they, what they say. They think any adult has authority, you see, especially in uniform. They're already trained that authorities have more are more important than their parents, people out of uniform. The government claims that the database will identify children at risk of poverty, abuse, or future, future criminality. That was part of the, how they rammed it through. They can tell, you see, through the psychological associations, etc., who might be a criminal. They might measure your eyeball to your earlobe, like they used to do. They were trying it that way then. Or your eyes too close together. But since when did filling in an endless forms release funds for frontline services rather than divert them? By bizarre coincidence or not, this assault on treasured British notions of privacy and propriety was devised by the woman responsible for Britain's most notorious social work scandal. ECM was launched in September 2003 by Margaret Hodge, Tony Blair's shocking choice as Britain's first children's minister. Why are we surprised? I'm not surprised at all. 
Look at Cameron. Cameron was in charge of MK Ultra in sweet old lovely pristine snow Canada. Look at his history as he shot and used LSD on people and children as well, by the way. They forget to, to admit that in the little movies and documentaries they do on them. All to eradicate previous memories and, and make compliant robots out of people. But, and it was funded by the CIA and validated and accepted and given a go-ahead by the government of Canada. Went on for years. On for years. And what happened to Cameron after that? He went to the United Nations as the head of children's psychiatry for the whole world and UNICEF. And we're shocked. I'm not shocked. I know what these guys are up to. They want a programmable society. After all, after Darwin, all humans fell off their perches down to the ground and became just animals which can be conditioned and trained and beaten and lambasted into submission and then reprogrammed into the proper way of thinking. That's the reality of it. Now we'll go to phones. Now we've got Cody in Oregon. Are you there, Cody? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Yes. Hello. Yeah. Here's the music, so hold on, and I'll get you when we come right back after this break. Cutting through the matrix, and we've got Cody from Oregon on the line. Hello, Cody. Yeah, hi, Alan. Yes, um, go ahead. Yeah, hey, I um, I ran into a mason at a bookstore the other day. I was, you know, I was in the bookstore and I was I was looking for a few of the books that you re- recommended, actually. Actually, and um, the bookstore is a big bookstore, and they have a whole mason section, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in there with my wife, and over, you know, call, looking for a. Uh, Morals and dogma, and, and a, somebody overheard me looking for that, and he popped around the corner, and you know he starts bragging about all the different books that he knew in that section. You know, kind of mm-hmm. turned out to be a mason, you know, from what he was saying and everything. And yeah. I talked to him for a long time, and it was it's pretty interesting. And he he, uh, you know, I finally asked him, you know, what what is this all about? You know, mm-hmm. and he said it was about memory. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're all remember. And I was just, you know, curious what you had to say about that. Like, what does that, what do they mean by that memory? In different levels. I mean, he'd recognize you weren't a mason because he'd give you a few, a few words in the, in the conversation. If you didn't pick up on them, he, he would know you're not. And memory is, you have different levels of memory according to, to Freemasonry in itself. Uh, one is also the high mason's memory of his task in life, what he was sent here for. They often give the old story of Hiram being sent here, and uh, you'll find that Manly P. Hall wrote about it too. They give this, this story of how he came through the universe, basically, was tossed here in this primitive place, the man of order, etc., etc., to build the foundation, the structure. They always start with foundations. But it's, uh, it would take me hours to explain it all to you, and, and right. I can't do it. Yeah, you know, he said, he said he could... He could be given a speech and, and not even be thinking about a speech the way that he could memorize. He could memorize pages at a time and just release 
tricks that he learned, you know, his powers from be, from being a mason, basically. You know, and he also recommended, that, or he didn't really recommend it. He was talking about one of these these different books, and he he's, he kind of said, "Oh, well, this book kind of explains the you know going through masonry." And it was the book called uh, "Turning the Hiram Key," and I actually ended up buying that one. I haven't I haven't got to reading it yet. Are you familiar with that book? Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell yeah. you, you, you won't find the higher meanings in those books. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's just kind of like the the boring going through the, the yeah, yeah. Even even the low masons, it's, it's not to fascinate you and keep you titillated for a long time, but it, it won't give you the higher meanings there. Uh, you, you don't sell the higher meanings to the public. You, you'll get you'll get hints and intonations of the eugenics all through them if you're very careful and you see you read between the lines. But they definitely uh-huh. advise. What they're really advising is good breeding and selective breeding. That's all through their literature. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it was really interesting. It seemed like he was kind of trying to, like, recruit or something, you know, the way he was kind of, and he was, oh, you know, our lodge needs some, some members and, and this and that. And it was, it was really weird. And it was, all, the other thing I noticed is that he, it looked like he was wearing, uh, the same boots that I see, uh, the cops wear around the town. And, you know, not a lot of people have those boots. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, if you're a mason, you can always get a pair. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Alan. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. All right, bye. But, but yeah, the, um, I've got some photographs of one of the biggest lodges. It's the main lodge in New York, and it's floor after floor of these grand rooms. And uh, I'll try and find it and give the link to my, I'll put the link up on my site. You'd be astonished at the finances these characters have. But everybody who's ever, anybody in New York, and they're running off New York, and all its facets, including education, police, and so on, is a member. And they go from all over the city to attend this particular one big lodge. I'll be back tomorrow with more. But from for tonight, from Hamish myself and to your Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.